things in life that we get really excited about. And there are things in life that we're just like, eh. And there's things that are kind of just going along, just kind of looking at it. And all of a sudden, it grabs hold of us. And we get caught up in the moment. We get excited. And so hopefully, we're starting this new series in the new year called You Are. And these are things that we probably know. We've probably sat in life and we've heard a few times in church. But my prayer this morning is that with fresh eyes and renewed excitement, we take hold of it and we really get how exciting and how amazing it is, um, these attributes of God and these, these aspects of our identity in Christ. So we started a series called You Are, and last week we, we looked at you are dot, 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 uh, you are loved, and that uh, you are loved, I am loved, we are loved by God. And we looked at, sometimes we take that for granted, just how amazing that really is. Um, because before we can truly make sense of who we are in Christ and who God is and what he is calling us to do and to be, we must first understand that God not only loves us, but that God is love. He fully embodied true love in the form of Christ, in Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection. We see that divine love being poured out on humanity. That is the divine narrative, this divine love story from Genesis to Revelation. It is a story of God's passion for his creation, for us particularly. And if we lose sight of that, that's where we really get goofy sometimes uh, in our theology and our purpose and why we are here supposed to be doing what Christ has called us to do. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. That's kind of, that's, he's saying, the, the rooting of your faith in Christ needs to be in this. In love. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond anything we can fathom. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why Paul's excited about this. And he's wanting the church of Ephesus to realize you've got to know and truly understand the love of Christ. That is his passion for going to the cross for us. And we have to be rooted in that. And if we're not rooted in that, we'll never be able to grow into the fullness of everything God is calling us to. And so that's why we started with you are loved. We have to start there. God loves you. And we're going to start going into step-by-steps. There's some major implications that come with that. We talked about a few of those last week. And to fully comprehend and accept the next you are that we're going to look at this morning, um, part of our series in accepted into our lives and our identity, we have to understand and embrace the fact that God loves us. God loves you. So can you you nod in agreement? Are we in agreement with that? Even if you don't feel it sometimes, quit lying to yourself. Just shake your head and say, it's true. God loves me. All right? There you go. And even though it is a love we do not deserve, some of us, we have troubles acknowledging and admitting it and welcoming it and giving it to others because we think, oh, I don't deserve it. Well, that's, that's true. We don't. And even though it is a love we have not and cannot earn, it's not something that we 
God's going to love one person more than another. He's not going to love Evan and Andrea better than, than anyone else in there because they've been in church their whole lives and have just done a great, they're not perfect, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'll tell stories about them later when they're not here. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> it, it's not a, a scale or a system. It is a love that cannot be stolen away by any other, though. It cannot die or wither with time. And it is continually, by the working of the Holy Spirit, pleading and calling us to Christ. The, the love of God is, is the Holy Spirit operating, churning and working, and it beckoning us to God. It is his love that is calling us to him, is calling creation to step out of death and chaos and destruction back into his, his purpose and his love and the life that we have in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you've shook in your head, yes, God loves me, right? Yes. Can that love disappear and be taken away? No. no. All right, we're getting somewhere. This is good. This love is revealed, enacted, shared, and accepted through Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the full embodiment of this life. And we talked about last week, love is of no value to the person who does not receive it, right? We can want to give our hearts and our lives to someone. We can want to die for someone, but unless they're willing to accept our love and our care and our devotion. It's of no value to them, right? Unless you receive a gift that's been given to you and you open it up and you take it and you begin to use it, it's worthless. One of my big pet peeves is seeing a brand new sports car going down the road at 25 miles an hour. That is worthless. Don't do that. God's love is, is amazing. Don't put it in a shelf. Don't just carry it around going, eh, God loves me, maybe, I don't know. We gotta fully embrace it. We need to be excited about it. We need to open it up, pull it out of the package, and let the Holy Spirit inject us with the understanding of God's love for us. Love is not truly received also if love is not fully returned. Love is a two-way street. It's, it's, a, it's an action. So it, you can't necessarily just receive someone's love. Yeah, I love you. Thank you for that love. If you're not giving it back, you haven't truly received that love. What you're doing is you're, you're just using somebody. You're manipulating that other person. When you really receive true love, it changes you, right? You are changed. One reason why it's so important that kids have loving, devoted parents is because it changes them. We're born into a sinful nature. We naturally do the wrong thing and we naturally want to do things, but through that love and that caring, it transforms that child into who and what they should be. And in the same way, that child begins to learn how to love and, and gives back to their parent the love. That's why we as parents, sometimes you get a little crazy, but in those moments that child returns love and appreciation to you, that's what it's about. That's what you, you look forward to. God's presence, the Holy Spirit, is like a river that flows through humanity, ever searching 
and calling for hearts and lives to open up and allow him to flood in and change us through accepting Christ and all that he has done for us and that he is calling us to. Too often times we as believers we say, yeah, I want, I want God's love. I want all of that. I want it to ooze out of me. But I'll take just a little bit of Jesus. I'll take, or I'll take all of Jesus, but kind of like the, we see the people following him in the, in the New Testament. And it's like, oh, we love this guy. He's great. Yeah, he's the son of God. And he's like, good, I'm so excited. You love me? Yeah, we love you. Do you really love me? Yeah, I love you. Do this for me. I don't know. We oftentimes, we do the same thing in our own lives. And the Holy Spirit is at work, and he's constantly saying, God loves you. Come to God. He has a purpose. He has a plan for you. He has life for you. Step out of where you are. So today, we're going to look at what happens when we open up to receive God's unconditional love, which is to receive and accept Christ and all that he's done for us. When we welcome and accept Christ and all that he is and that he has done for us, then we are allowing that love of God that, um, that is God to flood into our very being and lives. So today what we're looking at is we get a hold of that, something amazing happens. When we fully accept Christ, when we accept all that he's done for us, and we're like, you know what, I'm all in. This is it. He died on the cross for me. I believe in him. I'm following you. There's something amazing that happens. When we receive that, 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 when we, that gift of love, it's already there. You can't earn it. It's already there. It's on the table. When we pick it up, we open it up, we take it, we embrace it, we put it on, something amazing happens. And this amazing thing is way more amazing than the catch I saw last night. And it's something that changes the very nature of who we are. It changes our very identity. And that is, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He is so rich, talking about God, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. That word forgive is a very powerful word. A lot of times we, we use that word very flippantly and we, we tell our kids, you know, I, just this week, kids were arguing, I said, hey, you need to forgive your brother. All right, I'm sorry, I forgive you. But there's a lot of meaning packed into this word, forgive. According to Merriam-Webster, simple definition of this word is want to stop feeling anger toward someone who has done something wrong. To actually stop feeling anger towards them. To stop blaming someone. So what we're saying here is when he says, God forgave our sins, he forgave us, that means God stopped feeling angry towards us. God doesn't like sin. That's, that's a reality. There's God's love, but God also does not like sin. He does not like people messing up what he has made and is beautiful. He stops feeling angry. He stops blaming. He stops feeling angry about something or to forgive someone 
To stop requiring payments of money that is owed is another form of forgiveness. Why is God's forgiveness so important? Because all those things we just read, we need. We need. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done in your life, whether you think you're the world's worst sinner or you think you're squeaky clean. We all have an immeasurable debt that we owe God for the destruction and the chaos that we've caused in our lives and the world around us. Raise your hand if you disagree with me. Feel free. Just kidding. Raise your hand if you agree with me, right? I mean, if we're honest, that's the human condition. And we all are a part of that. There's no way we could pay back God for the times that we've disobeyed Him, for the times we've thrown a wrench in His plan, so to speak. What I love, we're going to read Psalm 51, verse 1 through 4 here. Have mercy on me, O God. David got this. He, David understood. That's why he was considered a man after God's own heart. He understood the heart of God. He understood the love that God was. He understood God's desire that God wasn't wanting to just pour out his wrath and destroy uh, creation and human beings. There was always this promise of, that's what you deserve. That's what I need to do. But, however, because I love you, if you will repent, if you will come to me, it will all be forgiven. We will start afresh. I will give you life. What's amazing is what we're about to read here, David wrote um, after the prophet Nathan came to him and said, dude, you're committing adultery. This is the same adulterous affair that he committed murder to be able to cover up. So if you think you've got problems, all right, this is David. Holy, holy David. We think of David, oh man, he's playing his little harp and he was king. We forget this stuff a lot of times, don't we? David was at a place in his life he needed God's forgiveness. There was no way he was going to be able to repay this debt. There was no way he was going to be able to overcome the guilt and the shame. Psalm 51, verse 1 through 4, but David knew God. He talked to God. And he wrote this beautiful prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. That's pretty bold. He was able to say, too often we're too afraid to say, God, I'm racked with guilt. I am racked with shame. I am racked with the consequences of, of my life or this other circumstances, God, help me. I've talked to people, and too often times we're afraid to do that because we know we deserve to be where we are, right? But because David had spent time, he knew, he, he had said, yes, God does love me. He wasn't giving in to that lie that God didn't. Yes, he knew that God was compassionate. He'd spent time and time again in God's presence and he knew what God's heart and desire was. He knew God's heart and desire wasn't for him to, to be destroyed by his sin. He knew that God's desire was that he would be saved from his sin. And so would his people. So he prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity or my sins and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, 
and my sin is always before me. He didn't need anyone to remind him, to tell him. He knew he was in the wrong. After the prophet Nathan came and set him straight, it was there, conviction was there. He said, for my sin is always before me. And this is an interesting part here, verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. We forget sometimes that when we sin, we are not just sinning against our fellow man or creation, that we are sinning against God. Did David sin against people? Yes, of, of course. But one thing that David recognized, even though he was the king, and technically he, could, he was above the law, he was able to get away with these things, but the prophet Nathan came to him and said, no, there's God, you are not above God. And when we sin, even when we are hurting other people, when we sin against um, other things, or we're doing anything against God's will for our lives and what we should be doing, we are sinning against God. Other people are his creation. He's, his desire is for his life and his, his love to flow through creation. When we sin against God, we are bringing destruction. We are going against God's purpose, God's plans. That is sin. Something we don't always think of is, in a sense, David is realizing that God is a victim here. Another definition for forgiveness, or not for forgive, but for forgiveness here, it's from the American Psychological Association. Forgiveness is the intentional and voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change in feelings and attitudes regarding an offense. Let's go of negative emotions such as vengefulness with an increased ability to wish the offender well. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. There's a reason why God says, only I have the right to pour out vengeance. It's because I'm the victim here, is what God's saying, basically. And we know God is all-powerful, and even though he's been victimized by us, he's not this weak, defenseless victim. But what's amazing is we have basically victimized God, we victimized all that is His. When we victimize ourselves, a lot of times we think our sin, well, it's only hurting me. We are God. So we are, in essence, we are destroying, we are robbing God of what is His. When we look at the divine narrative, the story of God and His creation told throughout the whole Bible, we see that God is good. And what God made was all good. And that God is love. And that God loves and values everything that he made. And he made it out of love. And he even entrusted and gifted it us to, to us to enjoy and to thrive in. But then we see that humanity in our rebellious and selfish pride, we begin to attack and break what God had made and set in place for us. Even in our own lives. We see this story unfold not just in the Bible, but in our, our lives in the world around us. We, I, you can say I yourself, have distorted 
broken, stolen, murdered, lied to and about what is God's. And when caught red-handed, we see in our own lives and the world around us the same responses we see from those in the Bible. We victimize God again uh, and again by slandering and blaming him for ours and other people's choices to go against what God has called good and is his will. This is why the forgiveness God is extending to us through Christ is so powerful. So only the victim or a, a ruling judge in a court case really has the right or the authority to forgive the perpetrator, right? The cops show up on the scene. If the victim says, you know what, I'm, uh, we're good here, I'm not pressing charges. Depending on the circumstances, there's nothing police can do, right? There's times in a court setting where a victim will go before the judge and say, Judge, um, I just want to let the court know that we forgive this person and we are going to ask that the court give them a second chance. The victim has the right to do that because they were the one who was victimized. A judge has the authority or a governor has the authority to acquit somebody, right? It's amazing is God holds both of those positions. And so sometimes what happens is we understand God's authority and ability to forgive us as the judge, as the ruler, as the king. We understand that. Think, yes, God has the power and authority. You can say, you know what? All right, you believe in my son. You believe what I did for you. All right, fine. Dang it. You're good. What we have a hard time grasping sometimes is that God, the person who we have gone against, who we have hurt, actually wants us to be forgiven. Sometimes we might even think that God will be mad at us for the fact that we won't end up burning in hell because we've accepted Christ. Now, I've talked to people, somebody said, wow, I can't. I've talked to a surprising number of people who struggle with this. They say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know my past. There's no way God really wants me. I, I get it's there. There's no way God really wants me. And so they hide away from accepting Christ and following him because they think God doesn't really mean them or their type of sin when he said, I love the whole world. So I've given my son. Too often times we will sometimes get to a point in our life and we think, man, I crossed the line too far this time. Or this and that. And we begin to think that, you know what, God, does he really want me? Does, I've been screwing up over and over and over again. I'm sure he's so put up with me now that, yeah, I'm good with him, but he doesn't really want me. How many of you have ever struggled with the fact that, yeah, you know you're forgiven, you know Christ died for you, but you struggle with the reality that God actually loves you and wants you. Anyone ever struggle with that? This morning, I feel God's really wanting us to, to understand that not only are we forgiven, he wants us 
to be forgiven. He wants to forgive us. God didn't have to love you. He didn't have to love me. But he did. He does. And he always will. It's because of that love he made a way through Christ that we could receive forgiveness. That's where we have to understand that God loves us. It's, that is what leads, that's the reason for the forgiveness. And imagine someone who loves and is so passionate about us that he moved heaven and earth so that we could be forgiven and be with him. And if there is a love that passionate, there's equally got to be a pain of rejection that God feels when we don't accept it. We're not doing God a favor by staying away from him. We're not doing God a favor by raking ourselves over the coals over and over again and hiding away from God's forgiveness because we think we know better than God and we think we don't deserve it. We're not doing God a favor. What we are doing is we are actually wounding and breaking the very heart of God. To fully accept Christ for all that he is is to step out of guilt and God's judgment and vengeance and to step into God's love and forgiveness. It's right here. It's all set up. Too often times we are the ones, we are the ones holding back from just stepping into it. that shower, that flood of God's love and his forgiveness as we step into that. As we step into that, the shame, the guilt begins to just flood off, wash off. When God forgives, he doesn't just forgive. He loves us, he wants us to be with him, and he forgives us, he's redeemed us, he's brought us back so God created everything, it was good, it was the way it was supposed to be, it was wonderful, we screw it all up, we're stuck in death, sin, shame, guilt, all of that. God has a plan. It's, it's not just he's like, ah, you know what, I'm going to send my son down there, we're going to... There's a lot easier ways to do things. God has a plan. There's a reason why Christ... There's a reason why the cross. There's a reason why resurrection. There's a reason why you and me. There is a reason. And that reason isn't just to be forgiven. That's just the beginning. And too often times as Christians, we, we take that forgiveness and we stop. That's just the doorway. That's just the very beginning. And there's amazing, beautiful, wonderful things that go beyond that. That just equips us, gets us in the right place, in the right place to begin stepping into the rest of what God has for us. So when God forgives, he doesn't just forgive, 
Sometimes we still struggle with the past a little bit. When God forgives, he doesn't just forgive. He throws out our old records. God will never, ever throw your past in your face. When you come to a place of forgiveness, it's like someone goes to that big metal filing cabinet, wherever they keep those things, outside of space and time where God is, and they pull it out. And in my mind, Jesus has a big flamethrower, or there's a huge bonfire, and it goes in. There's this fire always burning, and it goes in, and it's consumed, and it's gone. And so later, when we come back, and we're like, God, I can't do this. You remember what I did back then? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought we weren't going to talk about this anymore, right? Go look for the file. It's not there. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. If it's for God's sake, not just ours, okay, God says, I don't want to remember your sins anymore. We're done. They're gone. I took care of it. It's done. How much more for our own sake should we embrace that? Right? Because what happens is God redeems our past. Yes, the past can't just disappear. You're not going to like magically, you know, the men in black thing, bloop, you know. You don't remember what happened. Because there's consequences in life. There's always going to be reminders. But what happens is when that reminder comes around and shows you that thing in your past or that situation or that old person that you used to be, rather than going, oh, yeah, that disqualifies me, you say, yeah, that's what God saved me from. That's my testimony. That's not my shame. That's not my guilt. That's my testimony. And so then it's no longer we're trying to hide away who and what we were. And it's not that we're proud about it. What we're proud about is what God has done in our lives and that it was him and it wasn't us and that it's for anybody and everyone. And if God can do this in my life, he can do it in yours. That is part of our purpose, what we're supposed to be doing. That's why we have to understand God's love, why we have to understand his forgiveness. It's because that's what the world needs. And so they need to see not people who are like, I'm so, yeah, praise Jesus, I'm good, hunky-dory. What they need to see are real people going, hey, yeah, I know you're a mess. You look just like I looked last year. Yesterday, maybe. But you know what? I'm not like that today. And you don't have to be either. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. <coughs> Excuse me. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Why does God wipe it all out? I mean, that's a blank slate. It's a new opportunity. He's given us a new identity, a new life. We aren't what we did. We aren't what we used to be like. We are new. We have a fresh new start. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. 
And what's amazing is too often times, and yes, this happens, we, we get that. And then we're going along, happy-go-lucky in our life, and something happens. We fall back into an old plan. Something happens, and we're like, I screwed it all up. But God gave me this brand-new, shiny identity, and I've already just sullied it. Right? God forgives. And in the moment we turn and we stop and we realize, just like David did, David was king. I mean, God put him on the throne. And I encourage rest, you know, encourage you all today that might be a good homework. Go back, kind of some follow-up homework. Read through all of Psalms chapter 51. If you're ever struggling with doubt and what, how much God loves you and is able to forgive you, it's a good verse to go to. That's a verse, um, a psalm in my own life at times that when I felt like I wandered from where God wanted me. It's a beautiful prayer. I pray it. God, restore the joy of your salvation. Because what happens is sin robs us of that joy. We guilt and that shame. The enemy begins to start telling us we're not good enough for what God has. That God doesn't really love us. That God's angry at us. And the whole time, see, David realized he didn't allow the enemy to say, oh, you screwed up, man. Just kill yourself. You don't deserve to be king. He said, oh, you're no better than Saul who was before you. David realized his sin. He realized how bad it was, but he realized that what God wanted for him was restoration. What God wanted for him was newness, for wholeness, for completeness, and that God still had a plan and was not done with him. 2 Corinthians verse five, chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. We need to remind that God makes us new every single time we come to him. We find newness. That's why it's so important we come to the very presence of God. We're reminded of who we are in him. We begin to be refreshed and be transformed by the Holy Spirit working within us. And so even when we stumble, even if we fall, right now in this moment you can say, you know what? God, sorry, make me new. Boom, done. Now, we still have things we may need to work on. We may have habits and, and we have to be renewing of the mind. And that comes through God's word. It comes through prayer. It comes through coming together. That's why we come together to remind ourselves that we need each other and we need Jesus, right? We have to have spiritual discipline and practice in our life. But we've given a new identity, a new life. The second thing that happens when we are forgiven, when we receive salvation, is we realize that he never will abandon us. Even when we stumble, even when we fall, God has not left us. We aren't to live in fear that God will love us less or leave us should we make a mistake. I guarantee you, God has not left you. The Holy Spirit is right there speaking to you, saying, come back. Come back, come back, come back. And there's been times in my life where I felt like gotten distracted, who knows, and just like, okay, God, where are you? And God says, I'm right here. Where are you? And I realized God's been there the whole time. But I had my back to him the whole time. And even no matter how far I was walking away, he was right there. 
just waiting for me to turn around. I'm like, God, where are you? He's like, I'm right here. It's part of repenting. It means to do a 180. It means to turn around. Turn from where we were going, what we were doing, how we were behaving, thinking, and turn to Christ. Boom, fresh new start. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. I'm talking about the enemies, and this could have a, a physical or spiritual connotation. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a promise from God. God says, okay, you want me? I'm here. I'm staying. We need to realize that. Too often we let fear creep in, that fear that God's abandoned us. He's saying, don't fear, don't worry. Be strong, be courageous. He washes away the shame and residue left over from the sin in our lives. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to be afraid that God doesn't really want to do that. He does. So this morning, in closing, the worship team would go ahead and join me. And whether we've been Following, following Christ for a long time, whether we're newer to faith, something that we have to be reminded of, and it's something that we should be excited about. The power of God's love, the power of his forgiveness, and everything that comes with that. And that's just the beginning. We're just stepping into the doorway of what God has for us. So this morning, let's just close our eyes. If anyone this morning has been struggling with guilt and struggling with fear, been struggling with sin and just struggling with coming back to Christ, so oftentimes we want to change, we want to come back to what God has for us. But unfortunately, we're too afraid that we think God doesn't want us. We think there's no way he really wants to forgive us. And to be able to move forward courageously in the things that God has for us. We have to stop and we have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and realize God does want us. That he is choosing us. Each and every one of us. God is choosing. And all he's asking is that we would Accept him and all that he's offering. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word, that you've made it so clear, your heart for us. You've made it very clear how you view us. So, Father, I pray right now that as we, before we leave from here this morning, that each and every one of us, Father, we would take time, Lord, if we need to ask for forgiveness, that we would do so. 
But the Father, we would realize that there is a infinite amount of love and passion for us behind that forgiveness. And the Father, you have a purpose and you have a plan for each and every one of us. And that you are choosing each and every one of us. Regardless of who we are or where we come from or what we've done. To be yours. To walk in that newness. So Father, I pray this morning that you would just uh, break any lies of the enemy or that this world might tell us. And that Father, we would just lift our hearts and our minds so we'd fully receive you and all that you have for us. That we'd receive your love, we'd receive your forgiveness. And that Father, we would allow that blank slate to be written upon by your hand in your dreams, in your purposes, Father. Dreams to prosper. Dreams of beauty and hope. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name.